If you're able, would you remain standing for the reading of God's Word? We're going to read Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 46. We're taking a um, break from our First John series to talk about a vision for 2022 that includes dying to pride and leave living um, in humility. Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 46. This is the word of our Lord. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him and said to them, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great. Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy man's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We pray that as we consider it this morning, you would work mightily in our hearts to love you and to follow you. For asking Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> the beginnings of a new year provide, provides the, the opportunity to venture into new projects, set new goals. Uh, we like making resolutions and so on. Uh, what I want us to do here in these, uh, what was going to be three sermons, but now have become four sermons on uh, pride and humility. What I want us to do, my hope is that we can make 2022 the year in which we kill pride and grow in humility. I, I see that as a great need in my own heart, and uh, it might be also something that uh, it would be a blessing to you, because all of us struggle with pride at one point or another. Uh, and I am convinced from the scriptures that every relational issue we have, both in a vertical plane, in talking our, about our relationship with God, in a horizontal plane, talking our relationship with each other, is rooted in pride. Whatever religion issue we have has to do with pride in our hearts. The 17th century pastor Richard Hooker says, Pride is a vice which cleaves to so fast into the hearts of men that if, if we were to strip ourselves of all faults one by one, we should undoubtedly find it the very last and hardest to put off, to pull off. 
the truth is this, brothers and sisters, that if we want to be effective servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must learn to put aside pride and be humble and loving even toward those who oppose us. Pride and love are on the opposite side of the spectrum. You cannot be proud in a sinful way and loving at the same time. Love goes with humility, not with pride. I'm going to take just a couple of minutes to review what we saw last week. Uh, someone offered this definition of pride. She said, pride is an excessive preoccupation with self and one's own importance, achievements, status, or possessions. And I think uh, it's a, that's a great definition. I'd like to add two more things. It's a great preoccupation also with your own rights and with justice for your sake. The idea of vengeance is also a very prideful thing. And as we saw last week, the Bible uses several words to refer to pride. It talks about pride as insolence, as presumptuousness, as arrogance, conceit, high-mindedness, and haughtiness. And God calls pride sin, just in case no, it's something that we weren't aware of yet. That pride is sin. Proverbs 21.4 says, A haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin. And the Bible goes as far as saying that God hates pride and the proud. Because the sin and the sinner always go together. In Proverbs 6, 16 through 18, the word says, These six things the Lord hates Yes, even seven are an abomination to him. A proud look is the first one on the list. And because of Hebrew poetry and symmetry, the proud look is also mirrored on the last item of the list where Proverbs says that God hates one who sows discord among brethren. So pride and discord go hand in hand. As, for, as Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 3 say that humility and unity go also hand in hand. And God promises to judge pride. In Proverbs 15, 25, it says, The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but He will establish the boundary of the widow. He will, he will judge the house of the proud. Notice that it's not just the individual, but there's an aspect of judgment that affects those that are around the proud, as well as the, the proud one himself. And as counterintuitively as it might be. Now, we are okay with, we think of pride manifesting itself in self-worship, that self-centeredness, self-exaltation, but pride also manifests itself in self-pity, in self-loathing, in low self-esteem, in body image issues. These are all rooted in pride. And last week, I covered 32 different manifestations of pride as a diagnostic tool that we can use to run our heart through and see where we are. We're not going to do that again. You can go to olympiabp.net. It's posted there, 32 different manifestations of pride, a diagnostic tool that we can use to see where we are concerning that. But one thing I want to make sure that we understand is that pride always ends in destruction, invariably. Proverbs 16:18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 18, 12, Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, that is, proud, 
And before honor is humility. So if you think that you can continue in your pride and prosper, that's not going to happen. It brings destruction upon you and upon the relationships that are around you as well. Now, turning our eyes to our passage this morning, I want us to see that to be, to be an effective servant of Christ, we must learn the lesson of humility. Look at verses 46 through 48. <clears throat> then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him and said to them, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great. In the context of Luke, when we pay attention to the context, the, the absurdity of this debate is heightened. Here we have the disciples arguing who was the biggest disciple, who was the greatest disciple, whose daddy was bigger. That's the discussion that they were having and is in the context of the cross. In verse 44, Jesus had just announced to them that he was going to die on the cross. In verse 51, Luke says that he set his face towards Jerusalem to meet his fate on the cross. It is in this context that the disciples are trying to figure out who's the greatest. Yes, Jesus died, which means he's leaving. So we have to figure out Who's going to be the vicar of Christ? Who's going to be the place of Christ on earth? Who's going to be the greatest of the disciples? So that's what they are arguing in this passage. In spite of the fact that Jesus is going to the cross, they're arguing who is going to be the greatest one. And what do we do when we read a Bible story like this? Those disciples can't believe they would do that. We are Christians. We don't do that. Well, before we do that, we need to acknowledge that we struggle against this, with the same problems as the disciples. We lose track of the cross of Christ and turn our gaze inwardly. And at that point, we start thinking that we are great stuff and that we should be the greatest in the kingdom of God. So what can we learn here about pride and humility as we see the disciples arguing? Well, the first thing is that pride begins in the heart and must be dealt with at the heart level. If you look at verse 47, Jesus, that Luke says that Jesus knew what they were thinking in their heart. He perceived what was in their heart. Perhaps there was some evidence of what was going on. They saw them bickering or whatever. But at the bottom line here, Jesus knew what was in their heart. And what was there was Pride And pride was the root of that very first sin where Eve thought that she could be like God if she disobeyed him and ate the forbidden fruit. Eve's sin began long before she took a bite of that apple. It began in her heart. And pride is at the root of almost all sin. And I say almost here because... I know, there may be one out there that I'm not aware of that's not rooted in pride, but I could not conceive it. But we use the word almost here to, 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 to talk about pride. Pride is at the root of almost all sin because we proudly think that we know better than God who has given us His commandments. We wrongly think that we know what is best for us, even if it goes against what God clearly says. And you might say, no, that's not me. Well, do a, let's do a little exercise here. 
Have you ever thought, said, or acted according to this statement? I know that the Bible says blank, but if you ever thought, said, or acted according to this statement, you wrongly think that you know what is best for you, even if God, if it goes against what God has clearly said. And if you ever sinned, then you've acted against according to this statement. So to deal with pride, we must confess our selfish rebellion against God and humble ourselves before Him. Now we tend to be like Linus. You know what Linus is? Is from the Peanut um, cartoon strip. There's this little cartoon strip that uh, Linus is talking to his sister, Lucy, and um, she asks him, what are you going to be when you grow up? And he replies that he wants to be a humble country doctor. He says that he will live in the city and every day hop in his Ferrari and drive to the country where he will heal everyone. And in the last frame, he says that he will be a world-famous humble little country doctor. (laughs) So often in our hearts, we want to be a world-famous, humble servant of Christ. And that's not what we're called to do. Remember the testimony of John the Baptist? What was his testimony concerning Christ? He must increase, I must decrease. And that's really what we're called to do. We also see here that pride is fed by competition. Humility is fed by cooperation. I am one of the most competitive, if you don't know yet, I'm one of the most competitive persons that I am aware of. Right? I'm like winning. Jim Hunter is a second, close second, but I might even outdo uh, Jim Hunter. Pride is fed by competition. Humility is fed by cooperation. In the mind of the disciples, there can only be one greatest disciple, right? So they're going to compete for that position. And the way to determine the winner is by comparing themselves to each other to figure out who is the greatest disciple. But Jesus totally disarms the way, their, their way of thinking. He makes no comparison among the twelve or between them and anyone else. He brings a little child and says, what's your attitude towards somebody who has absolutely... Nothing to offer you. How do you see them? The old child had nothing to offer him, them. Do you receive that child as is? He makes no comparison between them. He brings a little child. And he does similarly something similar to what the Apostle Paul did to the divisive Corinthians when he says... What do you have that you did not receive? So the point of bringing this little child to them is that, look, every one of you was like this little child when I received you. You had absolutely nothing to offer, and I received you. What is it that you have now that you claim to be the greatest that you did not receive from me? In other words, God has given us everything that we are and everything that we have We're only stewards or managers of it for his sake. And there's an advantage when you think that way. No, as a side note. It's really easy to give away other people's money. 
it's really easy, easy to use other people's stuff to, to bless people. And that's, our bank account is exactly that. It's other people's money. It's Jesus' money. Our houses, our assets. Everything we have is other people's. We're just managers and stewards. And everything we have is given to us by God. And since it all comes from Jesus Christ himself, it is ridiculous for us to be puffed up over our own gifts or abilities and to look down on others who don't have what we have. You know, there's a lot of jealousy in the Church of Jesus Christ when somebody succeeds in some ministry and so on. It's easy to listen to the big-name pastors with the big churches and instead of being thankful for what the Lord is doing through them, being jealous about what uh, the Lord is doing through them. But rather than being jealous because of someone else has some spiritual experience or recognition that we lack, we should rejoice because the Lord's team has won. Now, the Apostle Paul says in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each, other, each, steam, let each steam others better than himself. Let each look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. We also see here in this passage that pride is fed by our association with the important. But humility is fed by association with the lowly. As, as this episode is going on in, in, in Luke chapter two, 10, this is the second year of Jesus' public ministry. It's a year of public... He's famous. The crowds are following him. This is the Sermon on the Mount, the year that began with the Sermon on the Mount. People are following him all over. He is praised. People are excited about him. The disciples are excited about being with Christ because he's important. And yet, a year later, when he goes to the cross, what do the disciples do? They run away. They don't want to be associated with the lowly anymore. Brothers and sisters, the only thing that makes us something is our association with Jesus. And that isn't because of anything good in us, but only by His undeserving grace, undeserved grace. If you're something, you're something because you're associated with Christ. And He didn't choose you because He saw something great in you. Read 1 Corinthians 1, and that's going to really help your self-esteem. There. God didn't choose the able. God didn't choose the smart. God didn't choose the wealthy or the influencer. He chose those who could not do without Him. And that's us today. Humility grows when we focus on Christ's presence and on the cross. Now, perhaps, as I said earlier, there were some obvious nonverbal signs that showed Jesus what was going on with the disciples. But verse 47 indicates that he had some supernatural knowledge about their, what they were thinking in their hearts. And Christ knows every proud and jealous thought we entertain. Every last one of them. If we would only keep that in mind we would be quick to judge our proud thoughts the second we recognize them. Because the second they enter our hearts, Jesus is aware of them. And it's important to keep in mind that this debate is happening in the context of the cross. Verse 44 and verse 51 both tell us that. And if we, keep, if we would keep in view the suffering that Jesus went through to save us from our sins, how could we go on exalting ourselves over others? You know how great I am? So great that took God the Son 
in the flesh on the cross to redeem me. So, which I say, I'm not great at all. Whatever the opposite of greatness is, that's what we are. We're so sinful. We're so corrupted that it took God in the flesh on the cross to redeem us. It was my pride. It was my selfishness that put the sinless Savior on the cross. As Isaac Watts put in his great hymn, When I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on what? On all my pride. So, so to kill pride, we have to live, as uh, I think as John Stott said, on the shadow of the blazing cross. So we can ca- be, you know, catch the sparks that are coming from the cross and to know that our pride was crucified with Christ. And Christ, the passage continues, and we see in the passage that a key element of humility is love for others. In verses 49 through 56, we see there, and we see in these verses, there's two groups represented here. Those who are fellow servants of Christ in verses 49 and 50, and then those who are opposed to Christ in verses 51 through 56. What we we need to learn from this passage is that we need to show love for both groups. Those who follow Christ and those who are opposed to Christ. Now, the form of love may look different, but it has to be there. And you can only do that if we die to pride and live in humility. Humble love is tolerant with fellow servants of Jesus Christ. In verses 49 and 50, John, um, you know, you think that after 49 and 50, John would learn his lesson, but he comes back again in verses um, 51 and following. But in verse 49 and 50, John says, Hey, we saw these guys. They were preaching the gospel. They were casting out demons, but they were not part of our club. We told them to stop it. You know, he's like, Good job, John. And Jesus says, What are you doing? In verse 50, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. So humble love is tolerant with fellow servant of Jesus Christ. And I do hesitate to use this word tolerant because it's so misunderstood today. In our world, tolerance means acceptance, right? In our, in our culture, means tolerance means acceptance and um, praise. To be tolerant of something is to completely accept, embrace, and praise. That's not how we use the word tolerant. We use the word tolerant in the actual meaning, which means disagree and yet not kill the person. Now, to be very basic, is to disagree and yet be kind to others. That's the correct sense of the word tolerance. And that's how I'm using here to describe how we must be tolerant of fellow servants of Jesus Christ as a sign of humility. We would be wrong to not do that. Now, there are different ways we deal with different disagreements. But the warning of this verse is that we often cloak our pride of being right under the banner of religious zeal. We put down other brothers and sisters because they differ with us. And we hide behind, we're fighting for the purity of the church when all we're being is proud. We need to fight for the purity of the church. But fighting for the purity of the church is done in humble love. And humble love also allows us to deal with those who oppose God. Humble love allows God to deal with those who oppose us. We see that in verses 51 and 56. They get to this, this village, they send word to the village saying, hey, we have this large 
group coming. Can you provide for us? Can we come into this village? There's a, very, uh, uh, there's a Samaritan village. They say, no, we don't want you here. John again, and James this time, say, do you want us to bring fire down from heaven and just destroy them? And Jesus again says, what are you doing? I'm so glad for the disciples. It just, you know, warms my heart that they do the same stupid stuff that I do. And Jesus says, what are you doing? No, nobody's going to die today. Just let, I'll deal with it. God's going to deal with it. You're just going on proclaiming the gospel. And, and what James and John are doing here, they thought that they were acting the spirit of Elijah who called down fire f- from heaven to consume Kings Ahaziah's messengers who came to arrest him. We see that in 2 Kings 1, 1 through 16. And then they could cite chapter and verse for why those people should be destroyed, but they were wrong. And Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, not to destroy them. Now, while rejection is always difficult to handle, if our Lord was rejected, we can expect the same treatment from a wicked world. As a matter of fact, if you've never been rejected by Christ, by, by people because of Christ, you might want to start looking at where you are with your faith. Because our Lord said, one thing you can for sure expect in this life is persecution. Humble love lets God judge the world. Humble love lets God be the judge of those who oppose us. The Apostle Paul says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. Whose wrath? Not mine. God's. For it is written, Paul says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing... You will heap coals of fire on his head. So think of somebody with whom you have a conflict now. That's your enemy. That's how the Bible describes that. And now how does humility call you to act towards that enemy? Love them to death. And I don't mean that go shoot them. But just love them to the end of love and let God avenge you. If all you care in a conflict is to get revenge or to be avenged or to have your name, whatever it is, then you're acting in pride, not in humility. And in this case, Jesus himself judged the village, that very last sentence of verse 56. And they went to another village. Can you imagine that? That village missed seeing the Lord of glory with their own eyes, hearing the proclamation of the gospel from the Lord of glory. That was great judgment that came upon them. Brothers and sisters, living in a culture as we do, that's seething with anger and elevates pride to a virtue, we can have some great opportunities for witness if we learned the lessons of humility and love for others. If, if you are mistreated, but you respond in humility and in love, you stand out as a light in the darkness of our culture. So 2022 is before us. May it be the year in which we die to pride, the pride of life, and humbly live in submission to God and in unity to one another that's displayed in humble love. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that they are the words of life. We pray that you write them deeply in our hearts. For asking in Jesus' name, amen.